Our scripture this morning comes from 1 John, chapters, chapter 2, 1 through 6, and then chapter 3, 13 through 15. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now by this we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar, and in such a person the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person the love of God has reached perfection. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother and sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Don't I pick good passages? I love it. All that fun stuff before, ending with murderers. It's wonderful. Um, So we are going to be starting on a three-week journey through the book of 1 John. Uh, This is uh, one of the books in the New Testament, so meaning that it's after Jesus' life and death. Um, And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be taking this book apart and taking a look at some of the themes, kind of holding them up and looking at them and seeing what we can glean from them. Uh, So, as I said, the book of John is in the New Testament, and it's written, it's a couple generations, maybe two, three generations after Jesus' death. Now, it wasn't written by the apostle John you know and love from the Gospels. Uh, We actually don't know who it was written by, but... Uh, We do know there's a group of folks uh, from the community who wrote it uh, that identify with John, and uh, John's school of thought, if you will. And they're this very tight-knit community, and they, they are very committed to this Christianity thing, and they... Um, and they believe very strongly that they have this correct way of practicing Christianity. And remember, this is some uh, 80, 90, 100 years after Jesus' death. And so we are going to be seeing that these ideas that we've had from Jesus' time, these ideas and beliefs and practices, they've started to marinate and to develop and to evolve over time and from where we were at the time of the Gospels. We're going to be wrestling with different questions because we're looking at different circumstances. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be trying to figure out what is going on in this group, John's community, and as a result of that, what kinds of ideas are they talking about and find important for themselves? So one of the biggest themes for the author of 1 John, is this idea of love. God is love. Anybody? 
Yes, that's, that's from 1 John. 1 John is some of these classic passages in the Christian tradition about love. For the author of 1 John, his whole argument revolves around this idea of love, both God's love for us and then our love for the other. And our author tells us this story. You've probably heard a version of it before, that somehow things on earth with humanity have gotten screwed up. They're not how they're supposed to be. Things are awry. Things are not the way God made them to be. Obviously. Just look around, right? So God sent Jesus to remedy that, to, to fix things, to get humanity on a better track, to try and get us out of this mess that we're wallowing in. This is the core of the Christian tradition. This is the core of the gospel The way that God expressed profound love and care for the world and humanity is through sending the act, is through the action of Jesus and God redeeming the whole thing, which for the author of 1 John includes everything, redeeming everything, the whole cosmos for the author of 1 John. And then our author resumes after this snippet of the core, resumes with something else at the heart of the Christian tradition. The great commandment, made famous, though not originated, by Jesus. You should love the Lord your God, and you should love your neighbor. The author of 1 John says, your response to being loved by God is belief and to love others in the same measure. But here's a twist. The author of 1 John is not privileging one over the other. Yes, of course, it's important to believe the right stuff, but just as important is living out that belief through your action. It can't just be words. It's showing others love through action. Take a look at this sentence from the book. If we claim we have fellowship with him and live in the darkness... We are lying and do not act truthfully. Even if we say we have the right beliefs, but the actions aren't there to back it up. We got it wrong. We apparently don't have the right beliefs. Or this uh, admittedly harshly put statement from him, this is how God's children and the devil's children are apparent. Everyone who does not practice justice is not from God, including the person who doesn't love a brother or sister. But instead, the person who keeps his commandments remains in God and God remains in him. If you do not love another, you are not from God. The action invalidates the claims to believe rightly. And vice versa, the person who loves rightly, God is in them. Because as our author says, the person who doesn't love doesn't know God because, here we are again, God is love. He even adds this stunningly beautiful turn of phrase. Let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Good stuff. The author of 1 John leans into this greatest commandment of Jesus. He takes up this combination of loving God and fellow humanity and describes what it looks like, insisting that belief is only belief if it is accompanied by love in action. And friends, is this not something 
that we need continually reinforced for us. Because, uh, come down this rabbit hole with me. <clears throat> Our Protestant Christian tradition has its roots back to Martin Luther around the 1500s, something like that. And Luther's whole shtick, his whole thing, was insisting vociferously that you cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot earn your salvation. And so, for example, he hated the book of James. He called it an epistle of straw. It, it's 500 years ago. It's a good insult for the time. It, it doesn't hold up. All right. Uh, but, but, because what does James talk about? James insists that faith without actions is dead. James insists you need to act like a Christian. Just having the beliefs isn't good enough. That doesn't cut it. But Luther, right, his whole big thing was, no, you cannot buy your way into heaven by doing good stuff. And so, overcorrecting from where part of the Catholic Church was in his day and age, Luther pushed hard against James and his theology and called it a works theology because you're trying to do good works to get your way into heaven. Right, And Luther had a fine point, sure, but he pushed way too hard. And maybe it's a natural overreaction. But regardless, Luther just threw this idea out there. And then later Protestants and, and his followers took it and ran with it even further. And so it, it's become such a central part of our beliefs that you cannot earn your way into heaven. And so basically, as a result of that, our tradition, our Protestant tradition, more or less has no clue what to do with something like the book of James. Because faith without works is dead. I mean, so there's a a variety of less than convincing ways that people try and make it work. But ultimately, for the most part, it's trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. It doesn't fit without distorting and just completely forcing it into it instead of keeping the integrity of the book itself of James intact. Because the epistle of James is talking about how God insists on right living. But the Protestant tradition insists that no, God doesn't care about works. So ultimately the Protestant, our Protestant folks make either some sort of weak attempt to make it work or we just don't know what to do with it. All right. So why the heck, in a sermon about 1 John, are we so far down the rabbit hole that we're talking about the book of James, which is a completely different book? Because perhaps 1 John presents a bit of a needed correction, a little, uh, an appropriate balance to strike, maybe. Because, yeah, sure, he talked a lot about belief and and about Jesus and how Jesus was God making things right with the world again, sure. But he insisted immediately afterwards, we love because God first loved us. Therefore, your response is to love your brother or sister. And we sure do need a correction because we as Protestants throughout the ages have insisted it's only about faith. You just say the sinner's prayer, or you just claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and everything's hunky-dory. But it's not that cut and dry, because what else do we have mixed in? 
but love with action. In 1 John, these two, belief and action, are indivisible. They cannot stand apart from one another. And so while it's all fine and dandy to insist that you can't earn your way into heaven, great, that's wonderful. And at the exact same time, you must insist that for God, how you live is of ultimate importance. We don't get a free pass just because we just are focusing on beliefs. Because as the author of 1 John insists, what really matters is demonstrating the love of God through action. And so what does this look like? Take a look at this passage from 1 John. If a person has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and that person does not care, how can the love of God remain in them? One scholar puts it, how can believers in the invisible God love the invisible God if they do not love their visible neighbors? Love in action looks like actions that, that we do in our physical lives. It looks like meeting the material needs of those who need it the most to help alleviate their suffering. It, and it looks like fixing whatever the problem was that trapped them in that condition to start. This is how the gospel calls us to live in the thick of our everyday, in the midst of the mundane. This is what matters, loving others in the same measure as we have been loved, showing others compassion, materially helping those in need. That is what really matters. It's not just the love of God. It's not just doing the right thing. It's love and action fueled by our belief. It's a balance between the two. And so this week, I challenge you to think through what are the ways in which the love that God has shown to humanity can be converted into love for the neighbor and particularly those who might most need it. This week, may this reflection deepen your grasp of what God requires of us as Christians. May it be so.